Fine Dining, the search for the most mediocre restaurant in America, is a podcast where comedian Michael Ornelas is traveling the country, eating at all chain restaurants in search of the perfectly average 5.0 out of 10 dining experience. The objective middle threshold of where bad becomes good. Friend of the Doughboys, Marissa Pinson and John Glover were the most recent guests as they reviewed Costco's Food Court. It's a two-part episode that covers everything from discontinued menu items to how many Costco hot dogs they could fit in their mouths. Damn, I wish I was on that episode. I'd crush that. Head over to linktree.com slash fine dining podcast, uh, F-I-N-E-D-I-N-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and click B's giveaway to enter a giveaway for an all-expenses-paid trip to your local Applebee's, the current frontrunner for the most mediocre restaurant in America at 5.02 out of 10, for you and up to three of your friends. And you can watch or listen to Fine Dining on your platform of choice while you're there. Enter by May 1st, and the winner will be announced on the May 8th episode. Disclaimer, $50 will be provided for transportation along with a $200 Applebee gift card. I love doing those fast read disclaimer things. Go give fine dining a listen. The search for the most mediocre restaurant in America. This is a HeadGum Podcast. What's up, shitheads? It's your boy, John Gabris, back with another episode of High and Mighty, the number one fuck boy, the number one fuck boy, shitheads. This is a very special episode of High and Mighty. It is a kickoff. We're doing a little side project here called The Fanshees or Fanshee Cast. We'll sort it out. I'll figure it out by the time this has to get uploaded. Um, we're talking about our favorite TV show currently that's about to start running tonight banshee and to kick off this special ep episode we've got in-house co-creator writer director genius jonathan tropper jonathan thank you so much for joining us thanks thanks for having me and as always associate my associates my other fellow fanchies other members of the tribe <laughs> sean conroy hello and ben rogers greetings <laughs> greetings <laughs> um we're so excited. By the way, Jonathan, we can't. When we came up with the idea to do the Fanchi episode, we were like, "It was such a goof." It was such a goof. Yeah. We we're like, "But we should definitely tweet it at Tropper and those guys <laughs> to see if anyone listens to it." And now all of a sudden, we're in a situation where we're like uh, blank, like we're like kids that yeah. Willy Wonka. We're getting invited yeah. to premieres. We're getting interviews with cast members, and now we're starting it off, kicking it off with the creator. This yeah, well, you know, I we really appreciate fanboy attention and fans, and like you guys, your guys' approach to it was so was kind of like our approach to the show, which was completely unpretentious, and it was, you know, it was both. I like the fact that you were doing the same thing we were doing, which is you were loving it and making fun of it at the same time, which is <laughs> what we do when we're writing it. Because I'm really wary of of getting pretentious or taking once I always said once we start to take the show too seriously. We're going to jump the shark. We do take our characters very seriously, but like w the show has to be fun. And if it's not fun, we lose. That's what we love about the show. That's it's like, this thing. is so crazy. Yeah. But when you're watching, it's like they know that they're what they're doing is awesome. So in a way. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. It rides the balance in the right way because it doesn't get too winky or anything. It, it's still you. There's no like parodies like yeah. the, the assault on Precinct 13 homage episode is so fucking awesome. But it's not like it's a weird parody or like, you know, it's like 
there's no moment at all where it feels artificial. And the reason we like to make to laugh about the show is because when we pitch it to other people, when you're trying to get someone else to watch it and you start explaining it, you're like, like there's this guy and this guy. Yeah, and you're and people like, are like, what are you talking about? You start to be like, I know it sounds yeah. crazy, but trust me, the yeah. drag uh, Asian hacker is a totally badass. Who also kicks ass. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and you, you can't really do an elevator pitch for the show. Well, that's yeah. what, you know? That was actually... Uh, we, when I was thinking of like what questions can we ask Tropper, one of the first questions was if you had to, if someone was like, "What's this show you made?" Mm-hmm. and uh, should I, should I watch it? What would you say to pitch it? Because I feel like we always have to explain like to people who've never heard of it who just know the term banshee are like, "Oh, the word banshee." And they're like, "Oh, is it like uh, is there paranormal parts of it?" And yeah, I'm my like, "My brother was like, is it about the guy in the X Men, the Irish guy?" Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, it's a very specific <laughs> Marvel property. <laughs> you know, there, there was definitely that confusion when the show first came out. But the way I pitched it, the way I sold it initially was just, um, you know, it's a it's a thief who gets out of prison after. 15 years and steals an identity and becomes the sheriff of a small Pennsylvania town. And that was kind of the log line we used. And I've used it ever since. And, you know, it's at least somewhat compelling, but it doesn't in any way convey sort of the tone of the show or... No, I mean, that's basically the plot of the pilot, right? Right. But but it's also the idea that you're going to be watching a, a... cop who's really a criminal operating mm-hmm. on both sides of the law and that's sort of that could be the cbs version of the show right. or that could be the cinema yeah, that version could be of the show. that could be blacklist or that could be banshee <clears throat> right and then yeah, you you leave out the gigantic native american who feels like it's okay to attack a special forces convoy <laughs> with, with a, a bow and arrow yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's the like that's the thing when i when when i'm yeah. telling we're all known around the UCB and the LA comedy community for liking Banshee, and we're constantly extolling it to people. If yeah. that's the right word, that we're constantly like you. And when we're we perform together in ASCAT a bunch, and all we do is talk about Banshee when we get together in the green room with a bunch of other people there, and they're all just like, "Shut." Oh, and they're like, what, what are you are talking? You? Yeah. I can feel the whole group of people just slowly <laughs> drifting across the outside of the room. As we stand in a circle yeah. and scream about, he broke all of his fucking fingers, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our pitch to people, too, is when we, we start telling them about it, we're like, just watch the first three episodes. If you give yourself right. two and a half hours, because we think that third episode where he fights the MMA guy is where you get... You get hooked. You, get, you cannot... If you're into that world... You, you either know at that moment that this show's for you or not for you. Yeah, well, you know, we actually... It's funny. I have trouble watching some of the first season because I think it took us a while to find our tone, and we didn't shoot in order. Uh, so Yeah, uh, uh, Targum mentioned that episode four was actually yeah, the first episode you right. guys shot or and something? That, and that was before Targum was even oh, part Rouch, of the maybe show. Oh, maybe Rouch mentioned it, yeah. But, but in, in season one, what happened was Greg Etain is who, who built the show. What happened was uh, Schickler and I sold the show, but we had never done TV before. Because you guys are both novelists. We were novelists, yeah. right? And, and then we... We found Greg, you know, uh, you know, we had Alan Ball on as a, as a producer, and but HBO felt rightly that we needed someone who knows how to physically build a show. <laughs> and so, you know, Greg had been directing, and uh, pro- I always forget if it's a producing director or a directing producer. I believe it's a producing director. Greg had been a producing director on a number of big shows, and he'd been directing for 20 years, and he knew the TV business inside out, and he came on board and really um, built the show, you know, for us. And one of the things is because we had a 10 episode order without having to shoot a pilot, he said, you know, you never get to do that. It's, it's happening more and more now. And he said, as long as in those days, everyone was still shooting pilots for everything. He said, as long as we know we're going to shoot all 10 episodes, 
let's not shoot our pilot first because we want to be really good at this when we shoot our third episode. You want that first episode to pop yeah. the best. And, yeah, and so he picked episode four of that season just because he felt it had something of everything. And then we were going to take a break after we shot that episode so the network could evaluate and we could evaluate before we moved forward. Oh, that's... And so, what a luxury. Right. And also, if we suck, they'd, they'd pull the plug right there. So <laughs> Less of a luxury? Right. So we, we shot that episode and... Um, and then what we did was we shot ep- and then we brought in a director we crossbarred our episodes we shoot two episodes together all the time but that season we I don't remember exactly the math of it but we shot episode four then we shot two and five together over 20 days and literally you'd show up at a location and you shoot all your scenes from two and all your scenes from five and then move on to your next location and and then we shot three and six and three was the episode with the with the mixed martial artists and so I felt like we shot episode four, and it was it was good, but it has some holes. Uh, the characters aren't quite there. It's kind of like Norm and Cliff in the first season of Cheers, where you know you're not really sure who they like, are I'm, yet. I'm, I can't wait to hear more from yeah. these guys. Um, <laughs> and, and, they're just sitting be. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then we shot two and and five, and I felt even though we had a really great director, S. J. Clarkson, the way we processed the scripts with her, there's an earnestness to those two episodes that really doesn't belong on our show. First of all, we hired this biker gang for episode five, and that's the we, Amish. Uh, no, it was it was it was these uh, the street the, fair, the street, the, the street fair, right? Yeah, yeah. And and everything about that episode is wrong. Like if somebody pitched that episode in the writers' room starting season two, I'd say no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't do any of that. But you know, we you know there was some good stuff in that episode, but we hired a number. I like of, that you uh, get to see sugar knock somebody out. Yeah, that part was fun. <laughs> yeah. but we also. So the way those guys, you know, it was st- we were still figuring it out because like the way those bikers almost raped Carrie, but then in an episode that actually happened before that, but shot after that, she scales a building wall and takes out three guards <laughs> to go see what happened. It's like, how's that the same person? You know, we, we were still figuring everything out, but I think, you know, when O.C. Madsen came in and you guys should get O.C. out here. He's a lot of fun. He's a Danish director. He's a really accomplished Danish director. And is he, his full name is like Ole Christian? Ole Christian Madsen, but you don't call him, you call him O.C. Oh, okay. Because when I read that, I yeah. thought it was like a, like a nickname, like Ole Christian. Hey, it's Ole yeah, Christian like, here. And I was like, oh, he's, and I looked him up on IMDb and I'm like, oh, no, never mind. That's like yeah. a, <laughs> yeah, he's a very, a he's a very serious filmmaker, but you know, he did epi- that three, six block, which had the mixed martial arts fighter and then the prison flashback with the albino which is oh, one God, of the best great. episodes of Ooh. television yeah. right so, <laughs> once, so when, when he came in and shot those two the combination of you know david myself and greg really trying to aim the scripts more at what we were trying to accomplish and oc coming in and immediately getting the tone of it all i feel like from episode six on season one rocks but there are it's very bumpy and the pilot's really great. Mm-hmm. Two, three, four, and five, it, it's bumpy along the way as we were figuring it all out. And I, I've I've discovered since then that that's true about a lot of shows when you go back yeah, and watch it's very shows. Hard you to you find can tell it. that they were they were still finding their their footing. That's what's cases. a bummer about the whole pilot process in general, is that it's like no show's first episode that they film when they get six random comedians and a random director and a random writer together to shoot it. It's like it's never gonna be as good as if they got if you give them ten cracks at it. Yeah. Somebody who is very successful in sitcoms. I can't remember who. It might be Greg Garcia. I'm just not sure who said any sitcom should shoot the first 10 episodes, then throw those away, then start from that next <laughs> yeah, once episode. Everybody's you know, <laughs> yeah, everybody's So that you know but, what yeah. the show is and what's going on and who the characters are. Yeah. And all that I, stuff. I thought that was really, like, in ret- at the time, I didn't understand why we were doing it. <clears throat> but in retrospect, I think that, like, it was, like, the most genius thing Greg could have brought to the show was, like, he understood 
that it's going to take really some smart. time for the actors to find their footing and for us as writers to find our footing and for the directors to understand the show. So he's like, he took us in this weird out of order place, which was really hard as a writer. And I didn't have a writer's room for a season. It was just David and me keeping track of all the storylines. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, but he just basically understood that let's get a few episodes in the can before we shoot our calling card, which is the pilot. Yeah. And that's why that, I think... Because it's all tune in and stuff is going to push that first episode. All of the yeah. marketing is going to say... That's, and that's who, where everyone's going to watch and hopefully get hooked love the from show, that moment so, so it might as well be yeah. first to the audience but fifth or sixth to right. you guys where you guys feel like you've uh warmed up a little right bit, so it was the fifth episode we shot and i think it came out really well it, uh, um, it's awesome. the, the albino episode th- this show is the best show to talk about for someone to overhear yeah. out of context right. specific yeah. albino episode. you know when he's you know when he fights the albino in prison the where giant the guy, where jack- the guy carries the umbrella over his head when he's in the yard <laughs> yeah but you know what else happened is we were we actually built we were building prosthetic albino cocks for for that scene and and it was just for those of you who are listening to this podcast without watching banshee if that is not enough for you to get you to tune in we were building prosthetic albino cocks and and this effects company was building them and like the first one they sent the scale was just all wrong it was like the actor would have been very pleased but it was just (laughs) it was the scale was just all wrong and and so I just remember that photo coming in on my email. It's like, <laughs> you know, and this was, you know, this was really pre-dick pic. The dick pic, you know, and I was just like, you know, my parents would be so proud. <laughs> like, you know, all that, all that writing and all that hard work. And now I'm sitting here in an office looking dicks. at albino dicks. <laughs> yeah, There's so much stuff we love about the show, but something that you just made me think of that we never really talk about is... Amazing casting for the uh, the villain of the, the week, bad people, guys. and yeah. the bad guy casting. Is, I mean, I, I, the series regular casting is amazing, obviously, but the guys who come in or the gals who come in for like a couple episodes or one episode are always th- always great, so great, so fully fleshed out. Like uh, it's the, uh, tailored suit uh, Englishman. Oh, the uh, uh, like this <laughs> like the Statham proxy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love. By that. the way, that was what we said. Let's get the next best thing to Jason Statham. And, yeah, and, like, and that guy yeah. is so he's, he's so awesome. He's great. The yeah. albino is so good. Jayton is so exciting. Uh, yeah. You know, like all these characters. Our, our casting director Alexa Fogel, who you know is an Emmy award. She cast The Wire director. and uh, yeah, she does a lot. She did uh, Generation Kill for HBO. Yeah. She did The Wire. She she does a lot and. Um, um, she is based out of New York and has access not only to all the New York actors, but all the theater actors. Yeah. And we very often end up with actors with a theater background in those roles. Like, And she can reach out to Dennis O'Hare and say, hey, we need a kind of damaged FBI agent. And we get Dennis O'Hare. Yeah. You know, for season four, we got Fred Weller, who's, you know, you know what was great is by then we were enough of a show that we could get these guys. Season one, there's like, what the hell is that show? What's, <laughs> I'm not going to do a Skinamax show. Yeah. You know, and... But once we established a, a foothold and we had a fan base and, and we became, you know, somewhat of a force to be reckoned with, we could get really serious stage actors and and she has access to all of them. So, you know, a lot of the actors or just really great journeyman actors like, you know, Jaco Ivanovic, who who played um, the FBI agent in. in he's so yeah, great. He's in like, that he's in that movie, uh, the documentary, that guy from that thing about great character actors. Yeah, he's, he's in everything. He's so, a, yeah. yeah. And and we were able to really you know bring those guys in and, and really raise raise the bar and who we cast and the name escapes me but from the uh, fat uh, fat guy on the big rig episode the guy who plays the agent there from True Blood uh, who's 
Um, that, oh, yeah, that's Dennis great. O'Hare. That's Dennis O'Hare. Yeah, that's yeah, his name. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And he's so good on Banshee, too. I, I mean, yeah. I loved him from True Blood, and it was right. so exciting to see him play. Sort of similar energy and cockiness, but yeah. so, so awesome to see him go head to head. We actually him. did try to come up with a way to bring him back. And, uh, <laughs> we just, you know, we left him alive. We kind of learned by season two, like, leave some people alive. Right? Right. <laughs> you know? and, and we wanted to bring him back, but we, we couldn't. We, you know, the plot just didn't work for that. But. <laughs> Yeah. He's so good. Oh, that's so yeah. fun. Um, so another thing we're obsessed with is what made you write this? Because it's it feels it's. I mean, it's obviously so specific, but it hits me at some Venn diagram of nostalgia, machismo. Like I don't know what it is, but something about this show just makes me feel like I'm 14 and my dad's taking me to an R-rated movie, and it's like the time of my life. Like you right. see some tits, you see some blood, you see some action. It's like some everything. Bone I'm, snapping. Yeah, bone snapping. Brain, uh, creative deaths. Creative deaths. One yeah. thrust too many. I love the 10% too long sex scenes. Are my favorite. <laughs> yeah. well, they really are because he talks about this all. All the time, <laughs> yeah. The they, brings this up I do lot. bring up. You know, that we this have th- those. Have we've kind of we've those kind been of moved down. away from those. Not bec- not for any censoring reason, but just because um, I'm I'm very sensitive to anything that takes you out of the show, and you know I do start to feel like if they became a trademark, they would take you out of the show. Right. Um, like I love the show Strike Back. Right. So do but, we're big but, Strike Back fans. You know, too. I'm sensitive when I watch Strike Back that that guy's gonna fuck someone no matter what. <laughs> we like, talk. He goes out in the desert and there's a hot Bedouin <laughs> right. that he's gonna fuck. And like, and she was super hot. Right. The point is, like, I don't want to ever. I, I realize but that you knew we as soon of, as you saw her that he was yeah. gonna have yeah. sex. Well, that's. With her. I think yeah. Strike Back and does maybe it. die. Yeah. yeah. Strike Back does it. Uh, like so great. They're lob setups are like you'll meet your contact in Cuba and their contact in Cuba is a beautiful Cuban woman right. you're like alright who's which one of you two is gonna pull right. her right. yeah and then the one guy finally gets a girlfriend spoiler alert for strike back and the girlfriend is killed right. so he can fuck other characters <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. so so we have sort of moved away from that a little bit you know I think you know we never want to shy away from sex we never wanted to do anything that felt like that's what would happen on a broadcast network yeah. so if people are gonna have sex we're gonna shoot the sex but at the same time we didn't want that to sort of become oh and here comes the sex scene and so we really you know kind of moved away from yeah they're always like story plot it's always like story sex scenes uh uh, we don't want to talk about any season three right but Uh, no but on strike back it was always the same guy almost always at the same point in the episode (laughs) and that's just not true on banshee (laughs) could be anybody we can go three or four episodes where nobody has sex and then someone will have sex and we just kind of like feel like less is more in this case (laughs) uh was that still some yeah, yeah, you gotta have a little like. Yeah. But that's what the thing is. Like, if a character is, if if you want to show a character and a, a another character that are in love or going to be partners or relationships or whatever you want to call it, they probably will fuck at some point. Like, right. But and then the other thing is, of course, like having done it the way we did it in the first season, season and a half, is that like. You know, there's kind of, you know, we're not going to, there's nothing new to show. Like, you know, you've seen this actress, you've seen her have sex with this guy. Like, honestly, it gets boring. Yeah. And and so we we just tried to move on to, you know, more story-oriented stuff. And when the sex comes naturally or organically in that... We're not going to shy away from it, but we don't look for it. Yeah, you're not trying. Yeah. It's not in there to get people yeah. to tune in, right. especially in the right. internet mm. age. It's not like, yeah, I watch I watch Banshee and fast forward to the <laughs> sex yeah. scene. I can't wait like, to resubscribe <laughs> yeah. to Skinamax so yeah. I can finally see some boobs. Right. Um, so what 
you and uh, Schickler is the yeah, your, David guy, Schickler. You guys, what what made you choose like this world? Like, well, so the first thing was I, I, you know, I had written a bunch of novels that were very different from Banshee, and when I first started getting inv- invited out to L.A. to pitch. TV, everyone said they wanted sort of the kind of stuff I write about in my novels, which is sort of much more grounded, character-driven stuff about men, you know, very middle-class men fucking up their lives in very middle-class ways, and um, I just didn't sell anything. I got a lot of people excited, but nothing ever sold, and, you know, Banshee was an idea that I had had since high school when I read The the Count of Monte Cristo. I had just developed this idea of, like, you know, a much more networky show of a cop who's really a criminal who's who... Who became a you know who came out of a long prison term and became a cop and uses his thief skills to solve crime and that was sort of something that had lived with me since high school and I just started thinking about that you know once once the Sopranos had come on and and kind of TV had changed and antiheroes were much more interesting and you could do complexity and um, you know not pitch heroes um, it just the idea started to come together and I I had uh, been talking to David Chickler who had had a similar experience in his first forays into pitching television. And so we decided to just develop this. Um, I don't know how old you guys are. I'm 46. I grew up in what I consider to be the golden age of action movies. And um, one of the things I was a big fan of, as, as much as I love the kind of stuff I went into as a novelist, and I love reading Jay McInerney and Michael Chabon and, and you know Joyce Carol Oates and a lot of literary fiction and things like that, as a, as a film fan, I was a huge sci-fi superhero action movie geek. And because I did martial arts my whole life, I was raised on Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee Same, and then yeah. Steven Seagal and, and Van Damme one, oh, yeah, and Van Damme and all that. And once you've, once you've gotten into that, what you discover and, and with the, with the advent of a lot more cable television and straight to video and all that, you start to discover that there's a whole world of these sort of noirish poorly produced martial arts movies where they would just pick some guy and go, this is the next Van Damme. And the truth is he <laughs> Jeff was. Speakman is right, Jeff Speakman is one of my favorites. Right, Jeff Speakman. Perfect weapon is one of my favorites. never seen oh. throw a kick in his life. Yeah. Uh, he's all hand. Howard Stern and referred like, to him as the kicking Jew on an episode of his uh, <laughs> show. And my dad called him yeah. that forever because we love yeah. Jeff Speakman. We thought he was going right. to blow up after that. Everyone yeah. thought like, this is going to be the next one. That's going to be the next one. And <laughs> But you would, you know, you'd go late at night. So like, you know, I look, to me, I loved Rambo, right? Yeah, and, right. and going to see that 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 second first blood movie the first rambo movie you know yeah. in a movie theater when i was in high school was like a revelation to me it's like this guy just took out an entire army with a bow and arrow <laughs> yeah. you know and, and believe me the way chayton got his bow and arrow is not that far off from that <laughs> you know if we could because because right, Ram- uh chayton takes out a uh yeah. like an army convoy rambo takes out a chopper <laughs> right. like- but you know i i love those and then i started to discover like you know, I'd be flipping through, you know, cable late at night and I'd be like, oh shit, Dolph Lundgren made a movie without Stallone. Oh wait, he made 10. Yeah. And like, he's, he's a mercenary. He's a soldier. He's an assassin. He's a mercenary again, but this time he's a different kind of mercenary. Yeah, he's oh, a Russian now, cop. Now he's another yeah, kind of, what, what was yeah. the one we just watched? Red Scorpion. Red, Red Scorpion. Scorpion. Yeah. I think that was his first yeah. after Rocky Four. That was like his first. That's with, what's that know? guy's name? The, the character actor that's in that? It's not Ned Beatty. Who's the guy who's like amazing. In, I, well, we don't, I don't have to know. Get and then they get Eric Roberts into one. And like, yeah. Best, whatever, best just, of the best. Best yeah. of the best. Yeah. And like, you just discover like, you know, this whole world of these, these straight to video action movies that were really satisfying because unlike all the theatrical releases it's like you were allowed to fuck in those movies and and the violence was a little more violent and 
it just kind of felt like your friends got together and made a movie in uh, some cases. You are literally speaking directly into my heart. Right yeah, now. you're this kind is of like to the this choir is, right now. This is like ninety percent of our conversations <laughs> are this. Yeah, like oh, have you have you watched the Octagon yet? Which one's that? That's the Chuck Norris That's Chuck one. Chuck Norris with the ninjas. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. Where, and we were talking about this the other day. It must be the first time they said ninjas in yeah. a TV in a movie. Well, no, because I think Enter the Ninja and Revenge of the Ninja had come out before that, oh. um, and that started the trend. Because Shokosugi made those movies. <laughs> I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting a little deep here. I'm Please sorry, do. Yeah. But like, I remember being a kid, not old enough to see that, and this older guy in my neighborhood took us to see Revenge of the Ninja, which has it all. It's got insane fighting. And then and then you've got couples having sex in hot tubs who get murdered by a ninja while they're having sex in the hot tub. <laughs> yeah. And like you have all this stuff and and it all stays with you. And then something changed in the TV world and I would tune in as I was getting older and I wouldn't be able to find these things. And as there were more channels and more shows to watch, I, I sort of yearned for it and I said, you know, I want to kind of I think there's an, uh, a niche to be filled here to create that show that appeals to that and all the guys who grew up on the movies that I did and at the same time give it better production values, make it a little smarter and care about the characters because in all honesty, they didn't really care about the characters in, in a right. lot of those B well, that, movies. That's what it feels like. It feels like this mm. thing I loved when I was 13 but made for me now that I'm in my mid-30s. Yeah. Right. Like, it so, feels like it scratches that itch but it's also like I'm not above it. I'm not I past like it in any way. describes it exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. like, I would have loved this show when I was 14 years old, but I love it now in different and better ways. In the same way and even in a different ways. And like you appreciate the acting and all the stuff that I would never have even cared about or like I'm I'm character. And (laughs) And it's also fun because now this has been a what? 30 hour movie I've watched. You know, it's like, it's like, it just keeps giving (laughs) the last eight hours are coming. Yeah. Yeah, and we did that. And what's funny is if you heard our meetings and our notes calls with Cinemax or our talks with each other, it's almost always about character. And it's always like the the actors are really invested in their characters. We're really invested in their characters. And, you know, there are some people who would scoff at that. I'm like, you really care about this guy's character? He just got punched in the head 70 times and he stood up again <laughs> but you know we do we you can you know, do both our, our, <laughs> our, our, our yeah our attitude our attitude has always been and i don't remember who originated this expression um and i, I don't want to misquote so i'm not going to say the person but somebody said use the term um you know real frogs in a magical pond and that's kind of the way we approach the show which is our characters are all have to be relatable on some level even though they're all kind of out there they all have to be have their own pain have their own suffering have their own personalities and their own agendas even if the world we put them in is incredibly heightened and none of this would ever happen in real life even if they happen to live in a town that borders on a uh, a amish uh native american white supremacist (laughs) (laughs) i love that uh i i I, well talk i keep wanting to talk about it goes back to what you were saying because you're starting uh, the with New York theater actors instead of some guy who was really good at his um, dojo. Yeah, like we didn't hire any. We didn't hire uh, the only martial artists we hire are our stunt team. Like right. none of the actors are martial artists. We hire actors. Yeah, you're not hiring anyone for their pecs and arms. Uh, and that's what, like all the like '70s and '80s like flavor of the month right. action stars were like. This guy's been pretty good. This guy's an actual kickboxer. He may have brain damage and barely speaks English, but <laughs> right. we're gonna give him three pictures. <laughs> but that's the thing is, like, if you if you talk to Ant, and you know, unfortunately, Ant can't be here for all this because he's shooting a new show now. But you know, Anthony, who's our star, is not a fighter, and is not you know, and he trains really hard, and he's a really good actor. But like, people expect him to be this really tough son of a bitch, and he's just a regular guy. And 
and he works really hard and he gets injured quite a bit. He, first- fl- he looks like he- I said I said this in another uh, in a future episode, but he I don't I, I don't think since Bruce Willis three I've weeks seen- from now <laughs> three weeks from yeah. now you'll hear this bit again. <laughs> but I want to say it to Tropper as a compliment. I don't think there's someone who takes a beating since Bruce Willis. There's not someone who you like who you root for that just gets their ass kicked so much more than Hood. It's so like Hood is constantly just like uh, he's got like an arm when he in season three yeah, when he's got the gauze around his hand yeah. i'm like he can be hurt <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, i, I love how actually, much he takes somebody actually had a twitter handle that's that lucas hood's bandage <laughs> <laughs> we're doing all their tweets about the show from lucas hood's bandage but um yeah no he got hurt quite a bit actually the first day of, of the first day of shooting we ever did on banshee was an incredibly ambitious uh day it was in it was in episode four where um Hood goes to arrest Proctor, and then these rednecks drive a truck into his car and knock him into this creek, and then he has to fight the Moody Brothers in this creek. Right. And we right. shot all that in one day. That's wow. like a week's worth of shooting. <laughs> we shot it all in one day, and in the first fight we ever did on Banshee, which is you know Hood taking on these Moody Brothers, one of the actors that Anthony was fighting with shot his head up too quickly, hit Ant in the mouth. Uh, he ended up getting 13 stitches, you know, Oof. on his first day of shooting, and oh. that sort of, and he had to finish the scene, oh. and, <laughs> and and he had to um, do nine more episodes. Yeah, and and, and, and <laughs> so you know, the, you can actually see in in some of the other episodes that there's still some swelling on his lip. We we digitally removed some of it, and some of it's just there. But like wow. that was sort of uh, his introduction into. So the I, world I have a question. Banshee. You you and uh, Schickler we, worked we on this idea. Yeah, come up with it. You've you've both been brought in to pitch sort of different ideas so you go back in with this idea was there ever a moment where people were like what well i stacked the deck because before we went in to pitch it i went to see alan ball and pitched it to him uh the creator of true blood right true blood and 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 six feet under and and um pushing daisies and 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 no he and no and he also wrote the movie american beauty right right, so so he was a guy who i felt He, he was a guy who I felt straddled the same lines that I was about to attempt to straddle from doing literary stuff and then getting into really sort of, you know, commercial action, pulpy stuff. Mm-hmm. And he loved it. So he and Peter, uh, his partner, they came in with us to HBO to pitch it. Um, and so, like, when you're sitting next to Alan Ball at HBO and you say Amish gangster... They just pull out the checkbook. We didn't get much further than that before they said, okay, let's go. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that we sold it to HBO, actually. And it, it was a slightly different show when we sold it to HBO. It was much more, you know, we were thinking about things like a history of violence and Eastern promises and, and, and you know, in Fargo. This was before they made a show of Fargo. And, like, we were really thinking tonally like that. And then as we went through development at HBO, Cinemax... That was when they made the determination that Cinemax was going to start doing original programming. And, you know, Carrie and Tholis asked to see the script because he wanted to work with Alan. And he had heard that it might be good for Cinemax. And he loved the script. And so they asked us if we would move it over to Cinemax. And, you know, my first attitude was actually no, because... I didn't Cinemax. All I knew about Cinemax was the soft core porn. They had right. no, they had they had no record at that yeah, point. Yeah, and I had just yeah. had this dream my whole uh, my whole adult life of getting that you know it's not TV, it's HBO thing. <laughs> right. That little static <laughs> buzz. Yeah, you know, after one <laughs> and of my then shows, your name. Yeah. You know, and and then Alan just called me up and said, "Listen, they're gonna they're gonna order ten episodes. So we can sit here and try to get on the air at HBO, or we can get a ten episode order and start making a television show." And he said, "I'm just telling you." 
that's the choice you make. Oh, wow. That's and crazy. So it was between maybe doing a, pi- a pilot at uh, It was HBO. maybe getting to shoot a pilot at HBO or getting a 10-episode order at Cinemax. Oh, man. So you Not know, exactly I'm... Sophie's choice. <laughs> <laughs> right. But in my head, it was for about a right, day right. until no, Alan that. straightened yeah. me out about well, it. Well, now, now it seems crazy yeah. to not go with Cinemax, right. but they maybe had, at the time... I'd be like, yeah. At that. the time, all Cinemax had was... Uh, had they started they, they were starting to air strike back which they hadn't produced they were what they, they took that from they the BBC. co-produced yeah, it yeah. no well, they co-produced it right. and, and they were making a show uh called hunted which i had not aired yet so we really didn't know anything except you know what you, what everyone knew of cinemax back yeah. then but they, they in addition not between banshee and the nick i mean they've built the right they, yeah. Brand. yeah strike back banshee yeah. the nick and they've got more you know down the pike which hopefully i'm going to be part of too and, and uh <laughs> You know, now that I think they've established themselves as real players. Yeah. And but, I think also, yeah. parallel to at this, when, when Cinemax was... When, <laughs> <laughs> when, we, when we were growing up, Cinemax was Skinemax, but also aired a lot of action because we had HBO. Yeah, they showed the action movies. They yeah, showed right. the action movies. And, and even I have had the full cable pack. My wife works in cable TV too, so we always just had full cable package even when everyone was unplugging or whatever, cutting the cord or whatever. And Cinemax has like six channels, one of which is Cinemax Extreme, which you can go through one week and and get about six movies you want to DVR that you haven't seen in a long time. So I was always into Cinemax. So then when Strike Back came out, I I watched some episodes of that. And then when when these guys are the ones who told me about Banshee, I was like, fuck, dude. I watched like three episodes. I was like, I'm into this show. Uh, and since season I feel one. like I keep Cinemax at this point, basically. Well, for Strike Back, which is done, <laughs> for Banshee, and I re- seriously feel like I don't know what what, what happens after the season <laughs> of Banshee. Do I? Well, well, first of all, I I do think they are going to try to bring the Nick back. They definitely want more of the Nick. They just have to get the talent, the you know, to coordinate their schedules. But the Nick, I think, is is a brill- I think if the Nick were airing on HBO, it would be gigantic. Yeah, totally. Um, it's a Cinemax show, and and Cinemax is not in the same amount of homes as HBO. But it's, but it, you know, the Nick is a phenomenal show. Um, you know, I'm working on on one or two new shows for Cinemax right now. There's one I'm overseeing. So you're saying keep my Cinemax? Keep your Cinemax. There's there's good stuff coming, and, and there's other. I stuff. can't wait. They're doing some. They're doing. I mean, they've got Outcast coming right after Banshees. They, they, we start oh, this right. week, and eight episodes of Banshee lead up to the premiere of Outcast, which is Kirkman's new show. So I'm which, sure all the Walking Dead fans uh, will jump on that. And Targo, yeah, well, Adam, was Adam, who was here, yeah. you know, who, who was here who tomorrow. Three months yeah. earlier. This is like, yeah. <laughs> this three months earlier, yeah, he's four working, days earlier, yeah, six months ago. Yeah, he's working on Outcast now, and Outcast is a really, yeah, it's a cool comic book, and it's a cool show. Yeah, and, I'm pumped you know, and, I, and I've seen some of the other stuff in development at Cinemax, and there's a lot of good stuff. I would, I would keep your Cinemax. I'm sold. Let's talk about some of our favorite stuff from the first three episodes of Banshee. I don't think something gets people more to... We did that episode where we talked about the show and we talked about all our some of our favorite scenes and now I could tell you the amount of tweets I and we get that are like just watch 10 episodes of Banshee this weekend. Like people are just based on all you have to do is say things like, yeah, when they're driving the pickup truck backwards at 70 miles an hour up to an armored car and hood leaps it. When you I actually st- tweeted that picture today. It's a, a behind the scenes shot of Anthony up on that pickup truck getting ready to jump. Yeah. So awesome. And that so was the beginning of the episode. Right? That was the opening of season two. Oh, right. It was the beginning of the right. season. Yeah. It was the opening of season two. We, <laughs> yeah. we closed down like 15 miles of highway in South Carolina to shoot that. Um, that's so so many great we we talk uh uh you know there's so many great fights on the show so many great action set pieces but uh 
What what are some what are some of uh, everyone's favorite and your yours too, Chopper? Anything in your in your past or anything that you guys wrote that you were like, this is something we're super pumped about? Well, there's stuff. I mean, I, the fights are different because the fights really evolve and the fights are really crowdsourced with our stun team, with our directors, with us. Like, I write the fights a certain way, but that's not generally the story of the fight ends up on the screen. But our stunt guys come in. Mar- you know, Marcus Young is our stunt director and his team they come in and they reinvent it so i can't take a lot of credit for the fights uh, i mean i can but <laughs> i shouldn't um <laughs> yeah and, you could you know, and, take and, all and the i'm also i'm always i'm always the guy who's still clinging with one foot to the ground and then there's somebody like you know greg or adam or someone i work with who always say fuck that let's just let's just take this to a like, let ramp it up know? like one more step yeah, let's just yeah. turn it up one more because i'm always saying well let's just Let's just hold on to one piece of reality here. <laughs> and everyone's like, but, but if we don't, it would be so cool because we could do this. So, you know, in, you know, in terms of the fights, I mean, I really like the fight. The first fight we did, I think it was season one between uh, Lucas and Proctor in the slaughterhouse. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, and the, I, I really enjoyed that one. The fight everybody loves was the Nola uh, Nola Burton, Burton fight. fight. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, can't, that's get, the, can't get enough of that one. That's yeah. the fight. I've watched that a number of times. I showed it to my wife last night. Uh, I just like... It's just... The, uh, Sean, Sean has a good anecdote about the Burton-Nola fight. Well, I, I uh, work in animation, and sometimes I feel like stuff on Banshee... Yeah, is in some ways it's so kinetic and so movement oriented that it's almost like animation. And sometimes I'll, I'll force. This is Sean being polite because I'm here. Because if I wasn't here, he'd be like, "It's a fucking cartoon." <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> there are, but there are certain aspects of it that feel, that feel like that to yeah. me. And so when I'm trying to get a feel for a scene or like get like, the right, where did Hood get that big something. mallet from? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now he's walking like an accordion. <laughs> but I would just, show those guys. I'd say to the writer's assistant, like, yeah. put up this scene from Banshee and show yeah. him this or whatever. And, and so, uh, you know, the fi- that fight, that Nola yeah. uh, Burton fight was one of them. And I showed these, the guys I worked with most recently, I showed them so many scenes from Banshee so early on in the season <laughs> that we were working together that they were like, do you work for Banshee or something? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> in a very tertiary way we are currently yeah. sort well, of working when for I, free for Cinemax right then when I got to email them and say oh well, by the way I invited you to the premiere yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I emailed them and said by the way we're having all these guys on, on our podcast they were like oh my god <laughs> you know that fight we're doing by the herbal way, life for Banshee right? <laughs> by the way that fat featured uh, that, that fight featured Matt Roush who you had on with that yeah, yeah, we, we, talk, so I don't we know will talk to up. him a lot about it when he comes on in a couple weeks right so, <laughs> I don't know if this will come up but you should mention like he's a shakespearean actor it comes up oh okay, it will, i think because we'll bring it up i yeah. think the biggest irony is that maybe in four seasons he's had 10 lines of dialogue and that guy can hold forth like nobody else he does right. whole shakespearean soliloquies like the new york times hailed his Macbeth, and like we let him talk like once every three episodes i think he said aristotle in inevitability uh, yeah in yeah. casual conversation yeah yeah he's like he oh, referred to you as a polymath and we looked it up after he left because we weren't positive yeah, we, weren't sure, we weren't sure that was the right word turns right. out it is the right word um, well, that's nice that he's going to refer to me as that. But um, and then you'll find with Hoon Lee also, who plays Job, when he comes in here, like it's very intimidating talking to Hoon because he's 
clearly smarter than all of us. Yeah, when yeah, we were great actors. They were like, yeah. Uh, yeah, we might be able to squeeze an interview in with Hoon. He does have to go to Mongolia to teach theater. I was like, <laughs> that guy lives a different life than me. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But he, you know, he's a regular family guy. He's got a wife and a son. And, and he just spent a bunch of months on Broadway doing The King and I. I took my family to see him in The King and I. He starred. Oh, wow. He was fantastic in that. He He's, he's a, fantastic the man on is Banshee. And even uh, on yeah. Bosch. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That, I was yes. like, wow, he, he can Oh, really, he's on Bosch? He's I on Bosch. He has a small role on that. And he has a fun, interesting take. And in, He's you know, so his good. He's, yeah. That character of Job is one of the more fun TV characters you've seen in a long... And I've, yeah. I've seen in a long time. We were we were like a few steps ahead of the whole transgender movement. Right? Yeah, it's we were really... A few like, years ahead. Of, <laughs> and I love yeah. it that it never really comes up. Sometimes he's wearing a dress. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes he has makeup on. Well, you know, our take on him is that he kind of transcends sexuality. Yeah. And, He's a and that Gaga and, type uh, in that character. he himself does not want to be hemmed into being called male or female and I mean you know he's still you know for the sake of writing and for the sake of being able to refer to him we did call him a man but the fact is you know Job's attitude which is our attitude is that he's omnisexual and that he can be whatever he he's wants to be. He's just Job yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about these uh, side characters and those fights that come up. Uh, we do see Fat Al uh, in uh, what season is the ch- church uh, scene? That That is the season- end of season two. That's end the of season two. Of season two. That character is one of our favorite side characters here. That's one of those out of context things. Yeah, yeah it's a giant black dude who's playing, who is who's it, part of the who's Chinese, part of the Chinese mafia. mafia. <laughs> yeah. right. he's, he's running the triads. And, yeah, yeah, he's running the New York triads, <laughs> and he's an arms dealer. <laughs> yeah. and he dresses in like a kimono, Chinese silks, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and everybody's friend. Yeah, yeah, and he's friends with, of course, he's friends with yeah. Carrie and Hood yeah, and Joe. Well, so so initially, initially that role was written for an Asian character, and as we began auditioning Asian characters, uh, nobody was really leaping out at us as somebody who would sort of incorporate what we wanted out of the character, and you know we were just talking about it, and we were getting frustrated, and we were also getting close to shooting. And we've always said from the very beginning when we first pitched the show, everyone and everything in Banshee used to be something else. And everything else has everything like the the police station used to be a car dealership. And, yeah. you know, um, Proctor used to be an Amish guy. And, you know, Hood used to be a criminal. And Carrie was a thief. And, like, you know, everyone used to be so- something And the else. mayor used to and be Gordon a Vietnam was a sniper. sniper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's one of our favorite details where it's like, no. <laughs> when the, that silent loading of gun scene yeah. is one of, that's yeah. like the shit that I love from movies of, right. like, the close-up of Sylvester Stallone pulling his headband. Yeah, we, we definitely and, fetishize that a little bit. But that, that comes from having been raised on Stallone. Right, absolutely. But that's, and that's, and, I mean, it's just an overall great gun loading in the whole series. Yeah, the whole series has, uh, in season, what's the, and I, I've just rewatched them all so that all kind of is uh, blur, one big yeah. uh, movie for me. But when Brock makes the decision to go with Hood and he has the fucking shotgun, the shot, I'm yeah. like, yeah. yes. Uh, Brock is a... Uh, now we're jumping all over the place. But uh, so let's let's finish Fat Al. I'm sorry. Uh, so, so, you know, we decided like if everything if everybody used to be something else, then why not make him a big Af- African-American guy who just decided he lo- he would rather be Asian? <laughs> and, uh, and it added a whimsy to the character. It totally that I think fits really in works. the show and it adds this layer of like you just go oh that guy has some backstory that i don't need to know 
to think he's fucking awesome, you know? Right. I think that's what it is the best about Banshee is that every character yes. has an insane backstory and every and you get like a great lick of like yeah. wait, Hood was in jail like we this was our one of the things we were always talking about when it ha- when it came out was like Hood was in jail for 15 years in season 3 you learn he was some CIA like black ops operative and then also an art art uh thief you're like this guy has the fucking he's got a coolest very full resume. Life. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. never had like like me either- where it's like and then I floated around yeah. for a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. I was auditioning in LA for three years, not really landing anything, teaching improv class. He's actually 54 years old. He just <laughs> really young. Doing the math, Hood okay. fought in both Vietnam and Actually, no, we did, we did do all the math, and it works as long as he got, re- you know, our backstory for him, which doesn't end up, you know, a lot of backstory we write doesn't end up in this show, right. is that, you but know. But it shows. I mean, it, yeah, it does make everybody is, richer. Is, is that he got in trouble with the law. You know, after, you know, either related to possibly killing his father Something happened with his and family, got yeah. basically forced to enlist was was an 18 year old soldier who got immediately pegged psychologically to get pulled into this special ops thing. But that didn't last very long before he realized they were basically using him as a killer. Got out of that. Job helped him disappear. And he ended up being a thief until Rabbit set him up. Yeah. Oh, so that it pr- does line up. It's so it's, awesome. You know, but we fed it out kind of piecemeal. But that makes the Lucas Hood that we're in the show with have the most perfect resume to be who he needs to be. Like right. He's like, oh, I've done time. I've fought in the military. I've, I've been an assassin. I killed my father potentially or yeah. something like that. Yeah. That makes this guy just like he's got the best. We were uh, who was talking about this. He's got the best watery eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were talking when things are intense or he's yeah. upset, mm-hmm. uh, Anthony's watery eyes. He's so r- rugged and tough looking, and then he's got those ice blue eyes that get like damp, and you're like, oh man. Yeah, he really changed the character because the character as written before we cast him was much more of a smartass, and and I really enjoyed writing him as a smartass. I kind of enjoyed actually with the show in general. I had originally envisioned it as having a real kind of Tarantino-ish patter, and it ended up just not translating for HBO and not translating for Cinemax. And it, but you know, we still wanted Hood to be a big talker, and Ant uh, came in and instead brought this real gravity to him and sort of the weight of all his mistakes yeah and you feel like bad for hood for most you're like oh poor if this fucking guy has to now she's dead god oh, yeah. damn <laughs> but, but he really brought this gravity that i think first of all it changed the character and the character i think became a, a much more you know b- both a more interesting character and also a more tragic figure and at the same time he sort of shifted the tone of the show he gave it a gravity that i think if the show didn't have that gravity it would be easier to laugh it off but the fact is, like, there's some real emotional stuff going on on the show. And- it, it feels like that adds a lot to his exchanges with Brock, too. Where yeah. Brock is always like, you know, what? who are you, Hood? You can't do this. And he's just, he's not like... Mm-hmm fucking with him he's just dismissive of what brock says yeah he's yeah. like brock i'm way past you yeah, and what i've got right. going it's like on exactly it's like, i know like, how the what world I had actually to works with, like yeah. you're like a gnat that i flick right. aside like you know brock's just i love those moments when you guys call that shit out where you're like this is fucking banshee there's like a whole nother world like <laughs> rabbits in new york or you know like i love those moments where even hoods great like, action scene in new york when they go down there oh the, yeah. that whole church sequence is awesome I mean, and the thing that that what Brock became, it was not our initial intention with him 
two things happened with Brock. Brock was supposed to die at the end of season one. He was supposed to he was supposed to go to Oregon, find out that this wasn't Lucas Hood, and before he could blow the whistle, die. <laughs> and we kind of realized over the course of the season, first of all, that we were underwriting his character, that he was a much better ar- actor than we were giving him stuff to oh, do. Oh, Servito is amazing. Yeah, and we weren't we were giving him this one note of like, you can't do that, Hood. Yeah, and and there's so much more to him. Um, and we really just loved Matt, and we decided we didn't want to kill him. And then that gave us the opportunity over the next few seasons. You'll see, if you watch the show straight through, you see his character really evolves and changes and becomes a much deeper character. And at the same time, to me, he's the proxy for the audience. He's the guy who looks at what's going on and says, Jesus Christ, does anyone else think this is ridiculous? <laughs> yeah. like, I, I love. He has some of those best know. straight man lines where he's like, uh, <laughs> this is not a spoiler, but in season three at one point, he's like... The internet is down. It's like the most like just say, like the real the most real that, moment. He says that in season four, doesn't he? Oh, that's season four, that, rather. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, but it hasn't yeah, aired yet. But right. he literally is like, yeah. the internet is down. You're like, oh right, they're like <laughs> in the real world. Like it's totally <laughs> like yeah. to see him just say that. And we our our joke on the episode about uh, Matt Servito about Brock's character is that he was sort of like the the hey come on hood you can't do that and behind scenes went to you guys was like look I could grow a pretty badass black beard <laughs> let me get a shotgun let me get some stripper scenes you know and then in the next couple of seasons you're like brock is so cool that's actually not the way it ha- i think the beard was actually greg Etanis's idea um he just wanted to you know change it up a little bit and and you know the character just kind of evolved because of the way matt played him but he never physically came to us and asked for it it just sort of it just sort of happened. It's so fun when it's he's fun, t- when he's like fun knowledge of the strip club. I love yeah, that. that. Hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. I love that when he's his like psychiatrist, his therapist is like giving him a lap dance. Uh-huh. And, but you are the one who pointed out to me that when they were raiding the strip club, he's like, the office is here, the blah blah, blah is here. Right. And they looked at him like, what? <laughs> he says, don't, don't judge. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then also when he goes down to uh, Louisiana with Hood and they go into the the bayou and there's all that stuff and they're on easy street and he's like what are we doing here Hood? <laughs> he yeah. is so he, good he, yeah he gets yeah. all the great like I think the first line of the fourth season is um, it's do, do you need backup nah <laughs> <laughs> and you're like it's Banshee yeah. you need backup <laughs> yeah but the, the real question is like who are you gonna send yeah right <laughs> like who's left like yeah, everyone yeah. you know one of the one of the challenges we actually had sometimes in scripts in the earlier season is like well, if they're all here, who's at the police station? Like, <laughs> right. Who's minding the store? How does this work? And like, what's, what's her so you name? Notice the lady as we get in, the, front as, the front desk woman. Right, yeah, yeah, the one who's trying to fix the internet. And right, Alma. Four. So, so basically, Alma, right. so, so basically, we we gradually evolve so that you know you'll see by season four there we we're staffed up. It's like if it it's was a, Star, it seems like a much bigger yeah, operation. If, if it was Star four. Trek, they'd all be wearing the red shirts. <laughs> yeah. You know, like those are the guys you don't need to know about them. They're probably going to get killed in the next scene, but they're good. The uniform cops. Or unless the uniform cop has a visible swastika tattoo, then that's an important yes. character. Right. I, I love all like you can. You, we were watching an episode and we were like, "Oh, who are these guys? Oh, they're white supremacists. They got their collars buttoned." Yeah, all the, the, way the up. white supremacists 
top button buttoned and sleeves rolled up is like the white supremacist look in Banshee. It's so awesome. <laughs> and I love that you feel sympathy for a white supremacist, a former white supremacist from because of this show. Well, that that's really, you know. He's a good actor. I like that. Uh, what's, what's Yeah, the, that's Tom Pelfrey. He's um, great. He also just got off of a, of a big Broadway uh, engagement. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a serious actor. And he also, like that, all those roles, like Job and, and Bunker, like if the actors don't deliver them, they become comical. Like if right. we had if we had a skinhead running around as a cop who didn't somehow every time you look in his eyes convey that sadness and that regret of everything he's done, you'd be like, "Well, this is a fucking skinhead." And that like, was there right yeah. from his first scene when he's sitting on the steps outside yeah. the station and just hands him his job application or whatever. And the amazing thing is, you guys like if you meet him and, and you'll meet him tonight. He is not that guy. He is the. <laughs> I most, hope not. He's not. He's, he's not a no, I, I, white I, I, no, I mean, forget the, forget the forget the neo Nazi. He's not thing. that sincere. He's not, deep. He, he is just the. He's outgoing and he's rambunctious yeah. and he's he big hugs for everybody and like he's just you know he's just a really fun guy to hang. He out He just happens with. to have a terrible set of tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had to cast. Him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was kind of a shoe in for the role. <laughs> no makeup required. For uh, the tattoos. Uh, uh, Another uh, side character we really love was the uh, the the guy whose mobile office is in the back oh, of uh, right. back fat, of a the fat freighter guy. truck. Oh, that is the reveal that they're yeah. on a moving truck is like that is Banshee fans. People have seen every action movie. I could not even have imagined. Yeah, well, I'm going to take credit for that. That was okay. me. That was that? just literally throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks. Like we 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 just wanted to come up with we. The idea initially was for the first season, yeah, or you know, for the first season. I forgot if that was that was a season two. That was a season three. Yeah, that was season line. three. Yeah. The idea was just you know, in season one and two, like um, this character who took Lucas Hood's identity, his past is catching up with him in the form of Rabbit. Right. In season three, we said let's have the real Lucas Hood's past catch up with him now. So we wanted yeah. to bring this gangster, the you know, the son and the gangster who was after him, and. We just needed. To, we wanted to come up with an interesting gangster, and um, the idea of a guy who was so obese that he couldn't even travel without being in a truck. Like eighteen wheeler. I don't know exactly where it came from, but like I threw it it's out so there, good. and the room just jumped on it. But I, I feel like and, I was talking about this in the episode that we did a while back. I, my theory, and and you know, it's probably not in this many words, but is that you sit there and you go. What is the most fun thing we can do here with this guy? <laughs> well, it's like it's 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 less. It, it ends up being fun, but what it's more is like, what have we not seen before? Right. What are we gonna like? Because because what happens is we hire a lot of writers, and all the writers every season we've had different writers, and all of us kind of have the same frames of reference. So it's a really fun room to sit in because people will just throw things at, and they'll be like, "Oh, it'll be like you know that that pool room seeming above the law," and everybody knows what we're talking about. Oh, right? the cue know, ball into right, the towel. And, and like <laughs> nobody has to say, "Oh, what happened in that scene?" Like yeah. if there's a real shorthand. Once in a while, we have to pull it up on YouTube for somebody who didn't see it, and then that person's buying lunch. But yeah. like you know, we all have just, our Gap movies. Wait, right. you've never seen Death Warrant? All right. Right, fine. Right. That, so, that kills like so, two hours because then you got to pull up another because you're, an- it's fun to watch that. <laughs> right. Then you go down a rabbit hole of like, right. ah, let's and, watch And I kept these. wanting the technology in our room, which we didn't have, to pull it up on my iPad and then go 
vroom to the big screen. So, you know, we could just watch the whole Minority thing. Minority report style. You know? Right. Uh. So that's what you need is like to be moving yeah. all the stuff around. But, you know, we really try to say, okay, but if we're doing that, like, but I saw that in this movie and I saw that in that movie and that just happened in Breaking Bad. So and like, what have you not we, seen? We right? had to say, what could we do that none of us have seen? And, and that's where we would try to do because otherwise you really are in danger in a show like ours of just rehashing existing stuff you've seen in movies and, yeah and we tried so we do want to pay homage to those movies but at the same time not repeat them or copy like love them. the assault on precinct they're like love yeah, that the, was a clear yeah. homage but but it was nothing like no it was nothing like it yeah but it's still but, yeah. so fun to see yeah. that in a tv show to see like that's another thing about banshee is that like it's got some of the best fight choreography on tv and then every once in a while there's just like a huge gun battle too yeah. which is like just the classic like fucking navy seal well, shootout one, <laughs> one thing that i loved i was thinking about this before when you said what are some of your favorite scenes is the whole thing where they they go to the house that he has. Yeah, that that, that episode. Yeah, and, the truth about but, unicorns. Right, and the yeah. and the the gunfight at the end, basically, where they're out in the field, and you see the overhead shot of Hood and Carrie and right. the assassin all crawling from different directions. <laughs> oh so, yeah. So to use for yeah, a reference right. point, the way the reference point I gave the director, and I actually pulled it up on the screen, was I think Jurassic Park two. The, when the okay. velociraptors right. are chasing them through the wheat fields, it's just that you want that overhead shot in, in and the movie. You can see only where they've already been. Right. Yeah. 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 So so that was sort of the reference point for that. And it, it just made that scene like so. Instead of just three people, two people shooting at one person, it was like this really cool geometrical representation of what was going on in that. <laughs> yeah, and, and that director in particular, Babak Najafi, he's an incredibly visual. Yeah, can you? T- uh, yeah, director. I'd love to hear more about the kind of visual choices you guys made, especially with the edits and the the, the, the jump cuts. Yeah, I mean that evolves. Um, you know, it, it starts with Greg, who who handled post production in our in our first few seasons, and um, who really tried to find a pace that never let you really relax too much, um, and and kept it very propulsive. And then, um, and then OC got into the mix with Greg, and we started. Uh, Greg initially, when he was cutting the pilot, I remember with Lucas being sworn in, he decided to intercut different things going on with Lucas being sworn in. Um, and OC had used it for something, and it gradually became a language of the show that we we let thematically related scenes play out at the same time with intercuts instead of playing scene one and then scene two. Because when you play them each as individual scenes, you have to edit them differently right. and you slow down the show a bit. And it just some, sometimes you want to slow down the show so we don't do it. And other times, the intercutting is a great way to kind of because I mean I don't want to get too much into this, but like. One of the things I take a lot of pride in in the show is we generally have three storylines moving at all times. And I want them always to somehow interconnect. I don't want them to be like we were talking about before the podcast on a certain show where there's a separate plot line going on that never touches the main plot line. Like, (laughs) I always want the plot lines to intersect. So we tend to use the intercuts as a way of also sometimes letting the various plot lines start to get woven around each other. Yeah, especially and, in like and, thematic things where two people yeah. are dealing with similar feelings or issues. You could see it cut together. Like right. That, so. Yeah. So, so we do a lot of that. And, and uh, so the interconnectedness that, that takes place in the writing translates into the way we edit it. Mm-hmm. And, and the converse is also true. Sometimes one of the directors or Greg in post-production will pull off a really cool editing trick. And then a year later, I'll find myself scripting something 
to be edited the way he did it that right. way. And so the languages all sort of influence each uh, other as we go forward. Yeah, I feel like some of the really good shows, like uh, uh, Game of Thrones does, like when they're doing exposition, a woman's being fingered like in the background. You know, something where it's like, you're not, it's not someone just giving you your vegetables. I, like, always, I always talk about The Wire when they when they get together for the first time, they get the task force together. Yes. And Lieutenant Daniels is saying, okay, here's what we're doing. And meanwhile, there's two workmen off screen that you don't see who are like, who are like, hey, Frank, can you get throw me a wire. Just like, like over the entire just conversation. Just to distract from the fact that it's just straight. Yeah, yeah. and then in, in Banshee, it's like you're hearing exposition, but it's intercut with um, a, a fight scene. Right, or you'll be hearing side. a voiceover while you're seeing something else. Something else, and it's like, it's just... Full it, of it's sugar. a spoonful of sugar. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. I was going to say, it's like Mrs. Buttersworth on your vegetables <laughs> yeah. when you were a kid. It's like, yeah, make it cheesy, and I can uh-huh. eat it. Not cheesy in the negative way, well, meaning tasting like cheesy. Yeah. Cheesy as in delicious. I, I always... <laughs> I always took to heart this thing David Mamet said. Um, you can look this up on the internet. There's He's got this, his rules this, for this, the... This long memo he put on the wall in a writer's room somewhere where he just said, like, for the unit. our job is to present drama. You know, the suits are going to ask you to present information. If you're presenting information instead of drama, you have failed. And and that's something I you know I take play I take really seriously because obviously it can't be as black and white as he's saying but you don't want to slow down to literally every anyone who's a savvy watcher knows when they're being spoon fed important information and it takes you out of the show the same way this, a season, long season two of, of Fargo I don't know if, if I haven't seen it. No, I've, I've only watched an amazing job of giving you so much information while at the same time. It was drama. Like it was just an incredible. It was like a like a show show off of <laughs> how to do. That, I gotta say, you know? sometimes I do love in shows where they just shoehorn some factoid in there where it's like, well, that's obviously gonna pay off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or like just a guy goes, oh, you're heading into that neighborhood. Be careful, the triads run yeah. that neighborhood. You're like, I wonder if they're gonna interact with the triads. It's, like you know, it's like that thing that beginning improvisers do where they start a scene together and they go, but you're my brother and we have to get to our mom's funeral <laughs> by Friday. So we better fix the car. <laughs> and, you know, and once in a while, look, you know, in general, Cinemax is really good with their notes. They give us really content-oriented notes and they're very, they're as, it's really like working with fans of the show. They're very protective of it. So we, we've never had significant notes issues. But every once in a while, you'll get a note where they're, they're just asking you to spell something out that you don't want to spell out. And what it's made me very conscious. And, and there's one or two times where I've done it where... You know, you'll shoot it and decide in post whether or not you really need it, and occasionally you'll loop something in if you didn't have it. But I've become really conscious when I'm watching other shows, and some I'm like, oh, he said that because the network wanted them to say that. <laughs> like, like you, you sort of become really conscious of where no one network wrote that in the writers' room. That yeah. was that was a note from some executive yeah. who was worried we might not know that's his wife. <laughs> like, you know, and but you're my oh, wife, you know. as someone would yeah. normally say. Right. <laughs> yes. All right, honey. Like, why that's are like you... an improv move. Yes. An improv move. Yeah. It's like, man, I haven't seen you in a while. I mean, we're cousins and all, but right. you know, like... <laughs> or like, wait, you're you're reviewing what just happened in the last episode. Like, yeah. but I was there with you. You don't need to remind me that he pulled out a gun and shot at us because I was there. But yeah, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I have a weird question. Now that you've done been doing Banshee and living in that Banshee world, yeah. has that affected? I don't know if you're currently writing a novel. I know you're super busy. Yeah. but are you? Is it making you want to write like a no? Uh, I've, I've, novel? I've never really wanted to write those kind of novels, and what it, what it has done is it has made me very late, uh, just because it's you know it's really <laughs> time consuming, and so I haven't had the focus to write a book the way I need to. I'm I'm in the middle of one now, and I've actually 
you know, cause we all, we finished production on Banshee last, this past summer. So, you know, I haven't been doing it for a while and it's given me, I'm working on some screenplay stuff and I developed some other shows, but it's given me the focus. I think I was missing more than physical time, just the ability to focus when you're, cause your brain is living. Yeah. In Banshee, when you're, yeah. when you're processing 10 scripts plus production, plus, you know, marketing and promotion, like you really like for most people, plus bullshit podcast interview. <laughs> I'm saying that for most people, you know, run for most people running a show is their full-time job. Yeah. When you do premium cable, in some cases you can't afford for it to be your full-time job. <laughs> and also it's not a full year. It's only, you know, we do 10 episodes or eight episodes. That's four to, that's five to six months. So, it just focused, but now I, I've, I'm actually really happy that I'm writing a book now that is not at all like Banshee. It's much more like in the world of the books that I've written in the past, and I still enjoy that kind of writing. And the stuff I'm doing for Cinemax now is in that world. Like I'm doing something having to do with you know uh, the Tang Wars in Chinatown in the 1870s that involves martial arts, and and you know I'm doing it with the Bruce Lee estate and all that. That sort of satisfies that side of my brain, and then I get to go home and, and work your on middle my class, book middle about, class uh, problems. about a dude who just lost his job. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's fun to be able to go back and forth. Oh yeah, that's awesome. That's a great yeah. dichotomy. I uh, yeah. that's a, a a recurring theme on this podcast is that I lift weights but play D and D, or I played rugby and do theater. <laughs> like so, it's like right. this weird. Di- that's an awesome dichotomy to be like writing. You're like somebody. Action. You're like somebody from Banshee. Like you have. Yeah, you have passed. You used to be something else. And now you're, <laughs> But that, but you know what happens? I go on book tour and, you know, it'd be really funny. I'll go do a talk, you know, to a book crowd, which is very different from a Banshee crowd. But like every once in a while, every once in a while, like, and it's usually some like 60 year old woman with glasses goes, when's Banshee coming back? And I'll just be like, really? I I have a lot of people because my dad sort of raised me on action movies and some of my Mm -hmm. uh, mutual friends, some of our mutual friends like Dan Black, I'll give him a shout out, former guest, and other people are like, yeah, me and my dad talk to each other every week about Banshee episodes. It's like, it's a great show. We're all about bringing people together. Yeah. It's a great show for dads in a way too because it is like that old, like it just feels like you're watching a Western and a karate movie and a crime movie and a gun movie. Like, Well, all that's in there right, right. I mean, like we said like he he is like the sergio leone sergio leone with no, no name who rides into town yeah and you never learn his he's name he's the man with someone else's name yeah. could have been but like you know clint eastwood you never knew his name in a fistful of dollars right yeah found that out oh, like, it's so you know, cool right so that's what uh we were wondering if you ever find out lucas hood's real name but we know what happens to you if someone whispers lucas hood's real yeah. name in your ear <laughs> Yeah, that's the supernatural element of the show. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like playing the video. On, on it's the, the ring. The you, ring. Chayton will yeah. break your neck. Yeah. I, I saw you tweeted, uh, and this was just, uh, you tweeted a picture, or maybe it was uh, Greg, but someone tweeted a picture of uh, the actor who played the albino and the oh, actor who played Chayton eating lunch one. together. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they, they don't appear in the same, they don't appear in the same timeline. Chayton season three and the albino is a flashback right. to before. So, but we did shoot, we had them on set together for one day and we shot two pictures. One was professionally shot. The one of them um, squaring the one off. of them squaring off as if they were going to fight in that pit, which I just wanted as a collector's item. And I actually have a big frame version of that in my office. Oh, that's and so then, awesome. And then I just happened to be in the lunchroom and I saw them talking to each other. I'm like, well, this is kind of a fun little fan moment. So I took that picture of them. and, and But that was that tweet where I put it out a few days ago. It was the first time I've ever shown anyone that picture. Uh, yeah, because I remember and seeing like, the the square those two squaring yeah. off. It was like fight of the century or something. I was yeah. like, that would be so. But like they were both in wardrobe and like he was painted white he was sitting there in his in his uh native american garb like they're sitting there just like having lunch probably talking about the weather and i just <laughs> you know and i just quietly took the picture and joe gatt who played the albino 
you know, texted me as soon as I posted on Twitter, like he never saw that picture. I never showed it to anybody. Oh, that's so that's fun. Yeah. Uh, the actor who plays Chayton is Gino Seegers. Yeah. So yeah. He's so good. Yeah. I mean, so, so is Joel Gott. He's, yeah. uh, he's amazing too, but yeah. Joe Gott, I think they, they just finished his character off on game of Thrones. Right. I think, uh, they just killed his character off on Game of Thrones. I think. Oh, unless it's uh, in the new season. No, 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 because there was like people were tweeting about it. I don't know. Oh, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't even know. know he I don't watch Game. Game of I haven't Thrones. seen Game of Thrones. Oh, okay, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's been in Game of he, Thrones. He was unrecognizable to me, so I will have to go back. He and was and on True Detective season two for like yeah, a split minute, second, yeah. and of course I recognize him. I was like texting you. I'm like the albinos in True Detective. He was, he was in the second. He was in the 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 second Star Trek movie that JJ did. He oh. was he was on the bridge. He was like the other interesting weird guy on the bridge like you know, um like he had an alien voice or something yeah he's like the uh, the wharf uh, yeah. uh, uh but, parallel um, no he he was great as the albino yeah and uh, and, uh, and Chayton is uh Gino Seegers is a uh, you know he he was Gino was i believe a rugby player and he played in New Zealand and I think he hurt his knee or something yeah. happened and then he got into acting and that voice is really his voice. Right. Someone said he's like a classically trained singer or something like uh, that. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I know he once made a he's video. A polymath. He, he is. <laughs> but uh, I know he played like, uh, he. I think he played Mufasa in The Lion King on Broadway. And, and oh, yeah, he's wow. Done some, he's done some stuff. His voice yeah. is so, That voice is so, incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. It's like and bourbon he, yeah. and butter. And he's, <laughs> he's able another, to flip a cop car with it. Yeah, he's yeah. able to sing a cop car into flipping. <laughs> <laughs> He's another actor who brought so much to the part that it like grounded the part in a way. For like a giant juggernaut Native yeah. American yeah. who is cuts himself before a fight, like right. such a badass <laughs> move. But because he's so good, it doesn't feel like a, a monster. It doesn't feel yeah. like a crazy. Uh. Well, that's also that's our agenda. Also, is like there can't just be villains. Like we want everyone to kind of be able to be the star of their own movie and like. You know, Chayton actually believes he's a righteous warrior fighting right. for his people. So, like, when you look at him that way, he's not evil. He's just, he's a sociopath, but he's yeah. he's got a cause. He thinks he's doing the right thing. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to, like, fight back to after generations of what the white man's done to his people which which they've done yeah he's got a he's got a valid argument (laughs) well not we have not been good to we being us whites as i like to say we (laughs) the royal (laughs) we the royal whites um uh the uh Oh, I'm, I lost my train of thought here. You were going to say we we have not been good to the Native Americans. Yeah, we have not been good to the Native Americans. Oh, the the other way I pitch Banshee to people is that it's an... Because especially in... Uh, not so much in season four, but um, it is like an hour-long action movie that you would have loved when you were like each one is like yeah bikers come into the town and ruin the Amish street festival a guy uh, who's like a British badass in a suit comes in an MMA fighter it's like each mo- each episode is like its own little movie premise like you said yeah. and it makes me think of that like, yeah Chayton is starring in a, a movie about a Native American out for revenge yeah, and like- Hood's in a movie about trying to stop said Native American and, and I mean looked at from another angle like you know Hood's a criminal who basically caused all this mayhem and death by deciding he needed right. to pose I, as I a cop. I loved when you guys had that moment where he thinks about what the town would have been if he wouldn't have showed up. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, that, that's the alternate, the sliding doors version of the yeah, It's great. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's happy. I remember that. <laughs> that was really funny. Well, that's why whenever, whenever people ask me, are, are like, now that Siobhan is dead, are... are our hood and carry, you know, they could be together now because Gordon died. <laughs> but like, you know, and I'm I'm sorry if this is a spoiler for season four, but like we've always maintained that these people don't get to ride off into the sunset. They've they've killed too many people and they've caused too much 
too much tragedy to then say, okay, but now you and I can go back to that house. And yeah, like, they are, we, we can just pick criminal. up where we yeah, left. Yeah, they are, and they are yeah. greedy criminals. I mean, yeah. they're, they're always like pulling yeah. off robberies. I mean, Gordon no got reason. killed because Carrie was doing a robbery. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. why he got killed. So, you know, they can't ride off into the She sunset. probably feels bad about that. Right? <laughs> she, I think we see a little bit, maybe just, uh, yeah. season four, we see her dealing with that just a wee yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> yeah. they are... That's the other thing too. You, like that was like in the earlier seasons, in season two or three, you'd be like, "Oh right, they're robbers!" Like when they're robbing the army truck, you're like, "Right, they're not the sheriff and they're his friends that help him out solving crimes or stopping mm-hmm. rabbit or stopping Proctor." You're like, and then every once in a while, it's like, "Oh, they're also doing heists." Well, that that heist they did in season three, that was like. I mandated that when we first got into the writer's room. I said, you know what? These are supposed to be some of the best thieves in the world, and we have not seen them get away with very much. (laughs) They get caught all the time. It never works out the way they plan. Like, let's let them really pull off a significant heist and then have that come back and bite them in the ass. But let's see them actually be professionals. (laughs) Let's see these guys be good at the jobs we say they have. have. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, we're nearing the end of the uh, episode, so let's b- uh, tune in tonight to tonight's uh, the premiere, yeah. season four of Banshee, yeah. Cinemax, ten p.m. Yes, it's it's I believe so. Yeah, yeah it's, it's ten p.m. EST. Yes, and it's, if you uh, haven't seen seasons one through three, start watching right now. Yeah, right now, I, very I will, quickly. I will say, if you are a fan of the show, the first twenty minutes of the first episode are going to shock the hell out of you. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, and uh, without saying any more, yeah. we've seen it, and he's right. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think I think we've got three or four complete surprises. Yes, complete yes, the show doesn't waste any time. Yes. Um, and if you're not a fan of the show, you know, you could just jump right in and try to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah, you and you might be able to. Yeah. You might be able to, but you're missing out on just yeah. so much fun, right. infor- right. so much information. I would say, you know, watch tonight's episode, and then before 4.02, watch all of seasons one right. through three. <laughs> also, you guys you guys have watched the first three episodes of season four, so you haven't even seen Eliza Dushku show up yet. I know, no, which no, we know who's coming in for that. season four, which is and, so and exciting. she comes in, and, and she's there for the rest of the season. It becomes a whole other thing. Ah, that's right? awesome. She's yeah. great, too. She's that's a lot of so fun. awesome. Yeah, yeah, you guys get the fucking great cast. Great cast. Anything yeah. else you want to plug, Tropper? Any of your uh, people buy your books? Go on Amazon.com, mm-hmm. search Tropper, and say, yeah, add I've got to six cart books for everything. if you're a Banshee fan. I don't know if you'll like them, but... Uh, <laughs> I've got, crossover uh, with, like, four people. Yeah, six, yeah, there's some crossover, but... Yeah, yeah watch the movie This Is Where I Leave You. Sure, This Is Where I Leave You. You can read the book. You can watch the movie. One last thing before I go, which uh, hopefully that movie's going to get made this year, but the book is still out there and uh just watch banshee please it's the last season find it watch it shitheads listening to my podcast that don't like how many times do i have to tell you just watch banshee for crying out loud but you still have to tell them more because we have a few more episodes yeah yeah yeah. and watch banshee and then come back here in addition to my normal thursday morning episodes i will be putting up monday morning episodes with the fanchies with sean ben the other sean clements and uh various guests writers talent actors from the cast and crew of banshee are going to be coming by and we're going to be interviewing them talking about that week's episode and other uh stuff of behind the scenes action uh, we 
I'm almost positive we'll have an episode with writer-producer Adam Targum and Maddie Rouch. Almost <laughs> positive we'll have Hoon, uh, Hoon Lee, who plays Job, on an episode. So get excited. Uh, and tell your friends that do watch Banshee to listen to this podcast. as some supplementary material. We're out there. We're discussing it. And as always, we got Sean Conroy and Ben Rogers. And Sean, you want to shout out your Twitter or anything for sure, people Sure, my Twitter's at Sean Conroy. You can find all my other stuff there. And uh, watch Mr. Pickles, which starts on April 17th. Nice. On Adult Swim at midnight. Ben Rogers? Nah. You're good? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> at Ben underscore yeah. Rogers. If you have to ask, <laughs> you just don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's always, this happens to me too when I'm on other people's podcasts. Anything you want to plug? I'm like, I only have my podcast. right? <laughs> so I literally, I'll plug on this podcast. Please listen to High and Mighty, the show you're currently listening to. <laughs> Continue to listen to it. But as always, go to iTunes, rate me five stars, and then roast me in the comments, and I will read it on a non-Banshee episode because I will not put Banshee talent or producers through. <laughs> it's better enough i have to say fuck boy and shitheads in front of uh, people whose shows i re- totally respect and i'm a huge fanboy of um and we're gonna change it we're not fanboys we're fan mans oh, I like <laughs> we're fanmen <laughs> fanmen uh tropper thank you so much for coming in. This for was having so me awesome. it's a lot of yeah. fun and uh just so everyone knows, Jonathan is Christian for God's gift. It's uh, <laughs> that's what, my name is Jonathan. My mom told me that when I was a kid. To she somebody, might have been lying to somebody. To somebody, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God's gift. It's you know, it's a trickster gift. <laughs> Loki's gift. All right, thanks, shitheads. See you later. All right. Later. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>